Welcome back, everybody. We are on episode 33, and we are sitting down with my good friend, PJ Busalaki. And I want to start, PJ, by saying your name was was written into our Excel sheet of guests we wanted to reach out to from day one. Wow. From day one, and this March will be two years that we've had the podcast. I didn't think it'd be on these terms. Um, this is a new spinoff series that we're doing called Surviving the Pandemic. Told you a little bit about it. Um, you're obviously a, a leader and trailblazer in the hospitality industry here in San Diego, specifically Little Italy. Um, so I do want to still encompass uh, uh, history on you, the business, and not just entirely around the pandemic. We just caught up at about the last 30 days. We stay pretty close in touch. I'm in here regularly crazy being in here now under these terms <laughs> yeah. because it's usually I'm hearing wine glasses clinking and pasta coming out and the best treatment in town and this is my spot I feel like a lot of people probably say that um, so I, I, I want to really dive into how the pandemics uh, treated the business and you personally but I want to start and just you know let people know about the history of, of Barbusa from yeah. day one um, so first of all thank you dude of course like that, that means a lot especially that you wrote my name down on for since sure day one that that means a lot and i'm honored especially for the past uh people that you've had on it's it's awesome sweet man um but um history of barbusa I'll, I'll give you a kind of a a brief summary because not only does barbusa um mean something to me in, in general, but also, you know, means something to the rest of my family and, and the legacy that, that my family has built of, of restaurants over these last 30, 35 years, you know. So uh, my dad's a, an Italian immigrant, came to the United States uh, in the early 60s. Um, he, um, you know, kind of worked his way through the hospitality industry starting at age 12. So we're talking like started dishwashing, um, at Mona Lisa's down the street when he oh, was wow. 12, 13. Um, then as he kind of moved on, he realized that he wanted to be a chef and, and, uh, went in at 17 to, uh, cook on tuna boats at the time tuna, tuna boat industry was huge. So he went to go to, uh, cook on tuna boats. Um, and he was the chef there for about two years. In that kind of span, he met my mom. They opened up their first um, little pizza shop in Grossmont Center. It was just a hole-in-the-wall pizza shop in the food court. Really cool. Yeah, so they opened up their first place, um, and, and my dad's dream was to open up a full sit-down Italian restaurant Um and, and that's what they did two years later. Uh, so my dad was 22. My mom was 21 when they opened up their full, full scale, fine dining uh, Sicilian restaurant. And they, and they named it Busalaki's. This is in 1983. Wow. So um, they opened up uh, at, at first kind of just a little small place. Um, my mom ran the front. My dad was in the kitchen. One, one thing of burners, so four burners on the stove. Him and another guy cooked. It was literally small, but um, little by little, they started being a little bit more successful, a little bit more successful. And turns out then, obviously, um, it became one of the most famous restaurants in San yeah. Diego. Yeah. Um, and this was in 1986 when, when nothing was around. Fast forward to 1993, my dad and mom had already gotten their, like, name uh, throughout the city. And, and Busalakis was in Hillcrest on Fifth okay. Avenue. Yeah. Um, so 1993 comes around, 1992 comes around. My dad's friend, who he knew for a while, said, hey, Joe, I got this, I got this opportunity down in Little Italy for you. Well, actually, 
on India Street because it wasn't called Little Italy at the time. Oh. Um, so he said, I got this opportunity in, in India Street. And he's like, okay, you know, well, where's it at? Well, it's my, my old butcher shop and uh, you'll be down there. So at that time, you're talking 1992, 1993, literally, um, Felipe's and Mona Lisa. And then um, Salunto was, was a little bakery. Yeah, yeah. And that was it. So it's a strip. Bad, bad. Yeah. Um, and, and, and there was three or four restaurants and, and they all closed at like seven o'clock when it got dark mm-hmm. because it wasn't the best of the areas. I tell people this all the time. When, when we were little kids, uh, my grandmother, when they moved to uh, the United States, they moved right up the street. And uh, every Sunday we used to go to her house and we used to go and come play on India Street because at that time there was no cars. It was the longest street. We would come play football on the street. No way. Yeah. So, um, That's so funny. You're talking 1993, 1994. Anyways, um, so he opened up his restaurant down the street. Um, and it was super successful little by little from 1993 to about 2000. Uh, we had six restaurants on India street from cedar to grape. Okay. Um, just because at that point, um, all these landlords were like, Hey, uh, let's, let's, um, let's give you a, a spot for, for your restaurants. My dad's like, okay, how much? She's like, oh, well, we'll give you 25 cents a square foot or 50 cents a square foot yeah. or 75 square My dad's like, okay, yeah, let's do it. So um, <laughs> Little Italy wasn't even deemed Little Italy until 2001 when they put up the sign. And, and my dad had a lot to do with, with really creating this area um, to make it Little Italy. So fast forward to 2008, and at that point we have... Uh, eight restaurants in total, six restaurants on this block. Um, and so the, the recession hits. Mm-hmm. And at that point, and we still are, we're, we're legitimately a, a family-owned and ran business. You know, oh, for sure. My brother's been in the game for a long time. I've been in and out of, of the game for, for a long time. And, uh, you know, my uncles, my cousins, everyone's got, got, a, got a little bit of a, of a hand in, in the business. And so... Uh, 2008 comes and things just kind of got out of control. Um, and, and then that's when Little Italy started becoming fairly, you know, all right, people started hearing about Little Italy, Little Italy, mm. Little Italy. And um, <clears throat> all these people were wanting to come in. And I, my dad felt like, okay, this is my opportunity to potentially kind of keep the ones that are, that are successful and, uh, you know, sell off the ones that, that aren't maybe, you sure. know. And so that's what happened. We, we slimmed our, our stuff down to about four restaurants. This uh, Barbusa was actually a steakhouse uh, that opened in 2006. Mm. Uh, no, excuse me, 2003. And um, so fast forward to 2015, Barbu- uh, Popazzo, which was the steakhouse, had been here for 12 years, 13 here? years here, okay. uh, which was Barbusa's location, uh, 13 years. And... And um, so uh, my dad's like, okay, what, what are we going to do? Uh, at that point, I think my dad was ready to just be like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I have already slimmed down my portfolio so much that I'm just ready. He was, he's, he's in his 60s at this point. I've worked my ass off. I've self-funded every restaurant that I've owned over the last 30 years. No investors, no nothing. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm ready to kind of either sell it 
or figure out something else. And, and that's where my brother and myself came in the picture and, and kind of brought some new school ideas. And he had obviously had heard about investors and, and people investing into stuff, but he had never really, um, really done it because he's yeah. always self-funded his own projects. Um, fortunately enough, obviously. 2016 comes, fast forward, my, my dad and my, um, or my brother and myself were like, dude, let's, let's, let's do this. Let's, let's take it over. And like I said, it was a steakhouse at the time. And we kind of had a vision for what Barbusa was, was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's exactly what we did. We, we got an investor, uh, who invested a, a small little a portion of money and, um, 2016 Barbusa was born. And, um, I don't think either of us, my, my brother, myself, or even my dad even realized like what, what it it became you know what yeah. it became for sure because yeah. it, it's been it's been an amazing amazing four years wow so that's the the long version of of the story but Man, um i didn't know a lot of that yeah i mean that, now pretty it, cool that gives me a whole uh set of questions now i have yeah, outside sure. of that um but the starting point that makes sense because i've always you know your design aesthetic and just the overall brand is incredible thank you but I always, you know, being in hospitality, I tell people, I'm like, it's got to match with the, the product. Mm -hmm. And you guys' product is just fucking next level. Thank you. Um, so it's, it's great, too. You kind of combine. And, and I'm sure, like, there's a lot of old, old generation guys like that. Like, you can't do without their experience. But as things modernize, bringing in, I'm sure you probably even had the conversations about the power of social media right. and certain stuff like that. Like, hey, we have to start doing this. Mm -hmm. So that's really cool to hear. But... I didn't realize how much hospitality courses through the veins of your entire family. Yeah. Um, which, A, I, I want to ask questions how this, because it's probably now become like um, topic of conversation the last 10 months at all your family gatherings. Mm -hmm. This has got to be front and center because hospitality, specifically restaurants, have been so um, vulnerable and affected by this. But what I want to know, do you feel, it's almost like you had the NFL or Hall of Fame uh, athlete dad. <laughs> And if you play a sport as a kid, you kind of got to uphold a legacy. Do you yeah. feel like you got to uphold a legacy? Well, a thousand percent. As, as much as, and my dad is the most humble, like unassuming guy you'll ever meet. Um, so yes, I, to answer your question, yes, of course I would. And he would never say this, that he truly in my eyes, I, like I always say this and I, I'm not trying to be pompous or anything like that, but mm -hmm. it's like at some point when, when my dad passes on, they should literally name this street Joe Buslaki because yeah. that, that's how much of an impact he had on this neighborhood. And, and granted, there has been other people that have come after him mm -hmm. that have, and, and before, you know, that have done a lot of great stuff, but there's been a lot of people after him that have done some amazing stuff to make it hip. You know, talk about someone like Consortium Group, Arcelon, and those guys who have made it so amazing. Totally, yeah. But then you talk about the real, like, trailblazer, and that's a thousand percent. He would never admit this, and he hates when I say it, but he's the truly the, the trailblazer of this neighborhood. You're right. So to, to live up to his expectations and to live up to his name um, was was tough and scary and um you know something that my brother and i like didn't realize until we we did this you know a, a lot on our own so we didn't realize it until then that we were like dude we we we, we got to live up to this name or else mm -hmm. we, dad's gonna be 
pissed. Yeah, and especially know? especially 2020 and now 2021, it's a big part of that legacy and that story. So, but I also want to, I, I guess, point out, you know, for anybody watching, listening, that we're saying stuff that's very contextual to San Diego, like India Street, Little Italy, and to put a little more context behind it is is and I, I think you would stand behind this little italy and india street which is the where we're sitting right now has become arguably one of the hottest spots in san diego um you know da- everybody in downtown i, I just before camera told you i just moved here you know everybody's moving here yep. everybody goes out to drink to eat to come o- along india street um there's just something about now and, and you're right like there were the trailblazers and the people who recognize that and really like help supplementally build totally. it that there's just a different energy over here, even different from like the gas lamp quarter, different mm-hmm. from the beach area. Little Italy just has a, a different aura about it that uh, I hope, and I'm sure you hope more than me, you know, that it doesn't really take the air out of those sales mm-hmm. through through all of this because I legit, and I said this when I moved into my place here, is I enjoy walking around the neighborhood. Like I, I actually like enjoy walking around the neighborhood. Right. Sometimes the gas lamp and the entertainment district mm-hmm. and that it can be like, you know, there's some riffraff, but here you actually enjoy. And lately just walking around with, you know, I would specifically walk towards India because I just love seeing the energy and the lights. And, and, I, and I came here actually the night before, I think it was the night the judges order. It was one of the, and we'll get into it. Last I can't nights. remember now which, <laughs> yeah. which one it was, how many last nights we've had. Yeah. And I remember I was walking from here back down and I was almost like, it, it kind of struck me. I'm like, tomorrow morning, it's not gonna look like this. Right. And then and tomorrow night more specifically, uh, which is a bummer. So I think that's a proper segue into, you know, as best as possible where we can shape it. How, how has turning the dial back to March, how has this been? Um, cause I know you've, you've had, we've talked throughout it. I've been in here throughout it. There's been some good, there's been some bad. I'm sure there's been a lot of ugly, um, you know, walk us back through, I, I guess, starting from day one. Of yeah. It. Um, so in, in one word, obviously I can just say that since March, this bit, this, however you want to say it is, is just been inconsistent, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's the unfortunate thing, but dating back to March, um, ooh, uh, I think that, you know, we kind of heard rumblings about it in January or February, like everyone else, like, okay, yeah, coronavirus, coronavirus, um, not exactly sure. And then March comes and we're like, okay, hmm, this is starting to get fairly serious. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody um in, in in my inner circle in the hospitality industry ever thought that it would be ever. like <laughs> be like where we are now obviously um so march 16th or 14th something like that is when the ruling came out and out we were actually we were actually here i was sitting i was at the bar and i had known that there was going to be some some announcement but i mm-hmm. didn't know what you know we were just still kind of like business as usual uh I had servers coming in and out, busters, kitchen was getting ready to prep for the night. I think it was like 3.30, 4 o'clock. Mm. And I'm sitting at the bar and we turn on the TV and, and sure enough, they're like full on lockdown. Mm. Like, what? What does that mean? You know? And um, so the, after we put the, the puzzle pieces together, we realized like, oh shit, we're, we're going to be in this for, for the long haul. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think the long haul to us at that point was like, okay, two or three months will be shut down or, or a month. Or, um, I remember we always were talking like, okay, we're going to be open by, uh, May, you know, like we'll be good by May. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and sure enough, obviously we're, we're in January of mm-hmm. the entire next year and, uh, we're in a fairly similar position. 
Totally. Well, what was the, I guess, your knee-jerk response? Like, what did you do week one? You know, obviously there's the damage control, and I'm not sure if it was, like, the immediate furloughing, or did you go right to, I don't even, it, it's been so while, even though it's, it's been a while, even though it's been 10 months. Yeah. You know, I can't remember that that first week where we even allowed to do, like, takeouts or anything at all. It was just, it was a clean... I, actually, I don't know. I think, actually, in the, in the, in the beginning, they were like, okay, you can do takeouts. You can do, I mm -hmm. think, I, dude, I honestly don't even remember, like, that whole week was the craziest week of my life. Actually... Fast forward uh, recently has been was the craziest. This December was the craziest yep. week in my life. We're but, gonna talk about um, that for sure. Mar March was um, crazy. Uh, so we we uh, brought all our employees, furloughed them. We emptied our refrigerators because we knew we were gonna be closed for at least a month. Uh, emptied everything, gave all of our food to our employees. Um, said, "Here, go take it. We're gonna be on lockdown, and uh, here's food for the next couple days at least." Mm -hmm. uh, and um, so that was response. One, we, we closed everything down and we kind of just waited, thinking like, all right, this is going to last a month. We'll be good. Mm -hmm. um, fast forward, obviously, I, I think we're talking from March to June, July mm -hmm. is when, oh no, maybe, I don't, dude, I honestly, my dates are so screwed yeah. up. We didn't make that decision until I want to say June, end of June make the decision to be like, you know what? We've waited long enough. Let's, let's jump to takeout. Mm -hmm. That was when they said you can open up again. Remember that? Mm -hmm. So we opened up again, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> June and, and, and spent all this money. Obviously, if you look behind me, this wall wasn't, wasn't there that those walls. So we, we did all this stuff. We built the patio within yep. from June. So you're talking spending anywhere from eight to $15,000 worth of money to get back open. Not only that, buy the food yep. after being starting from zero, right? You're starting mm -hmm. from scratch. You're like open up a new restaurant. Um, so, uh, yeah. So from dude, I don't know from July to September, October, I don't even remember we stayed open, uh, and then we were, we were, but we were flip-flopping, right? It was like, okay, you can open inside. No, no, now you're only outside. Mm -hmm. Now you can open just inside 25% capacity and outside 50%. There was just so much. Yep. They were throwing shit at the wall and would see what would stick, you know? Totally. And, and um, that's what happened. So we ran things to the best of our ability from, from that time, from June or whatever it was till till. Yeah, so, so something I've been wanting to, I've been talking off camera with a lot of business owners about, especially ones that employ a good amount of people, which you do, is, you know, we look at it from our standpoint, which has been, and I want to talk about survival mode, which we talked about before this, and um, I think survival mode is different for everybody. Uh, but I'm talking to people who employ, who, who employ a lot of staff just to, to kind of get their feedback of what they're seeing from the survival mode or how the conduct is from their employees. Like, yeah. And, and, and you know this, whether it's right or wrong, and hopefully that this maybe kind of corrects that, uh, the reputation of it. You know, a lot of hospitality workers, whether it's the bartender or busser or server, they don't stash away a lot of money, you know? <laughs> and, and, and no one ever expects something like this no, to happen. No, 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 Um So I, I got talking months and months ago, you know, because I know a lot of people who work in this industry and, and was starting to kind of hear some of those echoes of... What, and, and we all know how crazy unemployment's been and yeah, securing that and any outside funding beyond that is, is what are you hearing from, I guess, the disposition of your staff now almost a year through this on how they're holding up? 
Yeah. I think that, uh, like you said, and I was explaining this to someone who had no clue, this is how the hospitality industry ran, right? It's like servers, busters, anybody who's tipped will make money on Monday, make $300, $400, and by Wednesday, that $300, $400 is gone. Whether that's right or wrong is, is not a, me to judge, but that's just how I would say 95% of this industry works, mm -hmm. right? They spend it on Wednesday because they know they're coming in for their shift on Wednesday to make that $300 again. That's just, that's just standard for mm -hmm. servers because we, we, they deal with cash and, and that's just standard. That's just how they work, right? Yep. Um, so when, when you really take that into consideration, you say to yourself, man, we know that the industry has been hit hard, but then you look at that sector of the industry and say, holy shit, these people went from making two grand in cash a week to making whatever, $1,000 on a check that yeah you know, they they don't survive like that that's not no. how they work that's not the, how they live day to day that's not how they pay their bills um yeah and and you look at that and you say holy shit that that must have been really rough on them and and it, it definitely had and, yeah um you know and, and that's been part of our decision making throughout this entire process is is to keep the employees in in, in our heads and say okay what makes sense for us as a business, but also what makes sense for the 120 people that we employ. Totally. Um, because not only are they 120 people that we employ, I would say a majority of them have been here for 10 plus years. We got guys, 10, 15 guys that have been with us since day one, since my dad opened up 36 years ago. Holy shit. Right? So it, they're family. They're, they're yeah. legitimately family, yeah. you know? So um, not only are we worried about our business and, and how, how myself, my dad, my brothers, everybody feeds our families, but now we're worried about how the 120 people that we employ that we call family are feeding their families, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And so um, they have been... They have been resilient through it all. And I, and I think this industry, I was talking to uh, a friend of mine who owns restaurants, Mikey G. Yeah, yeah. And um, he was saying that the the silver lining to this all is this industry is 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 the most resilient industry. Mm -hmm. And um, he has no worry that that we'll get back. And, and I, I feel the same, man. I, mm -hmm. I feel the same. I think people are going to survive and we're gonna get through this because they, they're, they're the tough ones. We are, th this industry is the tough, tough people. I think that it, it's a combination of resilient and they also like, they look out for each other right. more than any other industry. Right. You know, and you hear that, you always hear like, you work in the industry. industry yeah. That one word, that could mean so many other industries. Right. You all know what that means. So resilience for sure, but I, I, I think it's also a, a case of, they, they look out for each other. So, so tight knit. Um, yeah. any, and that's anywhere. It's not just San Diego County, like mm -hmm. any, anywhere in the hospitality industry. Um, so I'm curious, cause I'm sure you've talked to guys like Mikey G and other, other people who, uh, who are in similar space as you, has there been one part of this in particular, that has been the most challenging for you? <sighs> that's such a tough question, man. It's, um, I, I think ultimately there's a couple of different things is, is, the whole of, of sitting here looking at something that your family has built for 36 years mm -hmm. um, and to look at it closed and like this is is really challenging um, and then you know on top of it is it watching and sitting these hearing hearing stories from all these employees like oh shit I don't have money to pay my rent I don't have money to feed my kid I don't have money to 
buy Christmas presents this year. Mm-hmm. And and like I said before, those are part of the these stories are part of the reasons why we have done some of the things that we've done. So the most challenging thing is such a broad question because this has been the most challenging sure. um, year of my life by far, by far, by far, by far. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's been so many challenges throughout this this whole process uh, that I didn't even know I could or had the ability to overcome these things. Yeah, um, but that, I think that that says a lot, and it also makes me because I asked the last person I sat with who who runs several gyms, and we were having the same discussion. Are there certain things that you've acquired, like a new skill um, as a as an owner operator, yeah. that you think you're going to carry from this movie when we get out of this that you now acquired? As part of it could be resiliency could be whatever just just from dealing with and we're not done dealing with it yeah um that you've now acquired through the process i think i uh feel like my communication skills i'm a i'm a i feel like i'm a decent communicator when i'm in the restaurant in that environment and Mm. um talking to guests and customers and 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 all the people that walk in um to this restaurant i feel like that that's that's a good skill to have, but the whole different other aspect of the communication skill is, uh, is you know, trying to com- convey a message that um, we are trying to be do the right thing and we are trying to be resilient and we are trying to do the things that we need to do. So I feel like th- those those skills of mine and, and trying to be tact in, in terms of totally. how I uh, deal with this whole crisis because, like we've talked about before, it's like. There's really no right or wrong way um, mm-hmm. to, to deal with all of this, but you want to do it as right uh, For sure. a, as possible. I put that in quotation marks, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, does yeah, that make yeah, sense? I get it. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, that makes sense. I have a really, I have a harder question then for you. Oh shit. And I was walking my dog last night and ran into a buddy who's a realtor uh-huh. um, and, he, and he deals with hospitality and I'm sure you've been asked this before. So I want to get your opinion because yeah. I feel like you're top of the food chain with oh, hospitality is you've heard all the rumors out, you know, like this many percent of restaurants aren't coming back. This percent is, what is your, what is your overall opinion that you think both in little Italy, but just in the, in the County in general, where you were, when things normalize yeah. and I, and I air quote as well, just yeah, like, of course. um, you know, how, how does the landscape of hospitality, do you, do you think, do you see it going after this? So I'm, you know, I'm, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but and I'm typically an optimistic person, but I really don't think you're going to see too many mom and pop shops survive this place. Mm-hmm. I, I consider myself a mom and pop shop because we are family run. We've just been fortunate enough to withstand, um, you know, this this whole thing and, and be successful over the last three, four years. And and part of that is being conservative. I guess we have the ability to be conservative in what we do and the things we spend money on and, and paying ourselves and all that stuff. So we have that ability to be conservative, but not everyone's fortunate to be able to be sure. uh, conservative, right? And and to be able to not spend money on a broken something because they need to fix it or whatever it is, you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? So I think the harsh reality of the landscape of the hospitality industry is that the strong will survive. Yeah. And, and unfortunately... If you are already on the brink of closure, mm-hmm. you're going to get closed, whether it's tomorrow or a year down the road. Um, you were, it's inevitable. You, mm-hmm. you're, you're already struggling. And that's what's so hard to, for me to watch. And I, again, like I said, I, I'm not trying to be a, a pessimist, but 
like I see all these restaurants that have um, are getting help from what well, let's call it barstool right have you seen that whole yeah, thing yeah the right? barstool fund that's that's amazing right mm-hmm. it's the coolest thing and watching those things and all that stuff like that but those restaurants and those restaurants were already on the brink of closure right sure granted is it nice to keep it to give them money to keep them open for the next six months and all that stuff yes but at the same time like this landscape of the entire industry is completely changed and unfortunately they're not going to survive yeah, because yeah. this business already is so brutal mm-hmm. that these little mom and pop shops are unfortunately not going to survive. And that's horrible for me to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hate saying it, but that's just kind of the, the, the way but, the cookies crumbled. I, I think that's fair and that's honest because yeah. you know better than anyone. When times are normal, take this last year out of the yeah. equation. It's a really difficult industry <laughs> yeah, exactly. to turn a profit. Everybody, everybody knows who's, I mean, maybe people don't know, yeah. you know, restaurants, the margins aren't, aren't They're not the healthy. Huge. I mean, no. it's, it's your job as operator to make sure you keep as much margin, but it's already as in normal times. It's, it's a fight Tough. to keep the best margin. So coming out of this, and I think that's a great point is, you know, money could buy more time, but it can't buy more skill set or how to run, run the business. Totally. And, and coming out of this, even now, like when you're juggling takeout or outside down here in here, right. you have to be very nimble and have a lot of experience. And I'm yeah. sure you guys have put together the, the capital of experience you have collectively between your family to get through this. But the, the battle's not over. No. Even if it, no, that's what I tried, I tried saying on the last podcast is I'm like, even if tomorrow, which won't happen, especially in the state of California, if they turn the light switch back full, they said, hey, we're back in business. We know, the small business owners know, there's still a runway ahead of us. Thousand percent. A long runway ahead of us. And it's going to be harder than pre-COVID. So to your point, you know, you can put more money in, but what else are you doing different? Because it's probably just going to be a nosedive and that's not a disrespectful thing. No, exactly. You know? And that's what I'm, I'm trying to, to echo those sentiments as well without trying to be like, oh shit, Debbie Downer, you know? Mm-hmm. But that's just the honest truth, man, is that these restaurants... and. I mean, I look at someone like us, right? We, we, we are not huge corporation. There's, when we have meetings, it's like me, my dad, my brother, my uncle, my cousin. Totally. And we sit down and we're yelling and screaming, smoking cigarettes and, and drinking coffee like, like Italians. But um, <laughs> so we're not like making these like really calculated decisions every time. Granted, we have the experience and we uh, have the ability to come up with the manpower and come up with the things on a daily basis to really change and adapt. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what's probably going to be the different differentiating, um, you know, thing between us staying alive and, and, and not, you know, definitely. I think that's a good intro to something you said off camera. And I know you want to talk about on here. Um, So I'll just set the stage for you because you were talking a little bit about, I know a lot of it, a lot of judgments flying around right now. Yeah. Um, that's an understatement. There's judgment <laughs> on. At this point, I feel like, man, if I buy the wrong toilet paper, I'm getting judged. We, we right now are in a point where we are judging everybody down to who they vote for to right. the toilet paper they buy or the brand. Like It's gotten out of control, almost to the point you have to mute it out. Right. But you said something really interesting, talking about judgment right now, not 10 months ago, like judgment right now. Right this second. And, and combine it a little bit with the survival mode and where the state of everybody's at right now that I definitely wanted to bring into the conversation. Yeah. I, I think that, like I said before, um, we're all in situations that we've never been in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, some businesses have saved money and are okay. Some businesses are month to month. 
I think regardless of where you're at with that and regardless of where you stand with your stance on coronavirus, that anybody from the outside looking in should not judge any business owner for making the decisions that they need to make because ultimately they're making the decision they need to make to survive, bottom line. Mm -hmm. And it's frustrating to me to see, uh, I'm on this stupid, stupid, uh, hopefully they're not not watching, this stupid Facebook group. It's called Eating and Drinking San Diego. It's cool, whatever, you know, like I... (laughs) I watch it. I, I watch the comments to see what, you know, every, where everyone's going, what's everyone's doing. They post pictures of food and blah, 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 blah. But I, I saw this one post that infuriated me. It was a list of the restaurants that are staying open. And all the comments were like, oh, we're not going there. We're never supporting that restaurant. And I'm like, how can you say that? Like, mm-hmm. how can you say that without really understanding what these fucking people are going through. I don't know if I can cuss. Can I cuss? Yeah. All right. Let it fly. <laughs> what, the, <laughs> what these people are fucking going through. They're small business owners. That's how they feed their families. And like we talked about before, that's how their employees feed their families, right? It's a fucking trickle-down effect. Yeah. And I think the, the, the sad part about it is people are making their assumptions on a business based on how they feel about coronavirus. Oh, I'm scared of coronavirus, so Fuck them, they should be closed. Mm-hmm. When in reality, it's like, dude, these people, these people might be frightened of coronavirus as well. Mm-hmm. But they got to do what they got to do. Yeah. You know, and that's the frustrating part about the whole situation. It's like, how are we going to fucking judge anybody's decision for, mm-hmm. for surviving? Mm-hmm. We're all surviving. Yeah. You At know, this like, point, we are. Right? Yeah. And I think I, you know, I, I kind of added a little cherry on top of that, too, because it, it falls in the same vein of just displaying empathy is right. this year for me, like, I don't think, I think confidently I have to go back and audit the last 10 months of my social media or anywhere online. Like, I don't think I once told anybody what to do. Right. Cause if there's one thing I learned through this is what I do for myself personally or professionally for my business could be completely different to your, what you need in your best interest and now in survival mode to survive. Um, and, and I, and I use the example, you know, like that person who commented on there, who's afraid, um, and won't go there. They might have a great saving set aside. Yeah. They might still be working remote with their job because a lot of companies have done that. So their security is, they have more of a security blanket right. to be at home, to still survive, but their next door neighbor might have $0 and zero cents saved up. They might have been spending all their money because it was March when this happened. They were going around hot in and they didn't have their money <laughs> yeah. saved up. And that last couple weeks of March when they really gather their rent for the month didn't have that. So now they're upside down. How can, how can either, either of those people tell them that one another what to do? Totally. The same goes for a business. Like, and I, and I, I wanted to find out, you know, like little Italy is a tight knit community. You know, is there cattiness like, Hey, for what you're doing there versus what you're doing here. But what I told you off camera is like, some people have gotten SBA assistance. Right. Some people haven't, you know? So how am I going to point the finger across the street or across the county and say, hey, you shouldn't be open when I got a nice EIDL loan, I got PPP, my staff's taken care of, I'm sitting on a nice operating account. But that business over there might have, might have gotten nothing. And right. they might have, like you said, a lot of people were buying, you know, it was March, so if you're in, in the beach area, you're buying for all the spring break. Right. So you, you're ordering, you've ordered tenfold to prepare for the Arizona people coming and all sure. that. And then it just sunk, Disappeared. you know? So I, I think empathy 
and I don't know if you've, you've kind of come across this, also plays into it. I totally agree, man. I, I, I think that we, we just have to be empathetic to anybody in life. But, you know, in, in my world, it's like, dude, I, you don't want to see anybody close. No. You don't want to see businesses close. No. You don't want to see this economy crash. You don't want to see anybody on the street unable to feed their families or whatever you have, you know? It's just... You don't want to see any of that. No. And, and so anybody talking like that should really reconsider, hey, what would I do if I was in that situation? Exactly. How, what, what things would I decide to do if I was in that uh, you know, situation? What, maybe they haven't been in survival mode and they don't know. I've never been in survival mode, fortunate enough, before this year. Mm. You know? Yeah. And, and then once you get into survival mode... Then you start realizing, okay, man, I need to make this decision. Maybe it's not the best for the entire, you know, uh, what, what the whole goal is. Yeah. Um, because that's what people are thinking. It's like, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to open up because we're trying to stop the spread. Which I, I think we're all in agreement. Right there with you. <laughs> we're yeah. all in agreement yeah. of that. But when you got to do what you got to do, mm -hmm. you got to do it. Totally. Bottom line. So I think when you got to do what you got to do, it's good that to, to kind of shed some light because uh, the last guy we sat down with, um, he gave a little insight in detail into what he's dealt with. And I know you're now the proud owner of our cease and desist, which he also <laughs> had as well. Yeah. Um, and I don't think a lot of people are hearing hearing that, that, that the gravity of that, it's, it's a big deal. For sure. You know? Um, and it and it came lovely time is right around the holidays. Yeah. And after almost nine, ten month battle and you thinking you're at the home stretch and we here in San Diego had a judge's ruling saying you could reopen and that right. weekend we got excited once again yep. and then got prepped to reopen, ordered to reopen, and then it sounded like you had the rug pulled on you and had to make some tough decisions that you and your brother talked about. Um, I guess is walk through so people can kind of really get uh, inside an insider look at the shit that you're you're dealing with and the inconsistency yeah like you said just in this last month which for businesses in san diego it's in hospitality like it's the holiday months it's when people you know they they go home they need money for christmas they need money for the end of the year and we're coming out of 10 months of just madness like i guess walk us through the what you told me yeah this last december looked like well first of all dude i i've worked my ass off my entire life um you know never given anything. I just really worked my ass off. And that week, which was December 11th or whatever, 12th, was the hardest week of my life and the hardest I've worked in my entire life. Like, so if you put that in perspective of my 20 years of working yeah. experience, um, it was it was brutal. So I'll, I'll paint the picture real quick. Um, we opened for takeout, um, that week of the, I think we're talking like the 10th or 11th or 12th, something like that. And so we're open for takeout. We decided uh, for the first time in a long time, all right, let's do takeout. Um, let's start it back up. So we, we start doing takeout, buy all the containers, you know, that's stuff that people don't realize is like yep. you're buying so much shit, yeah. you know, like it's not like, oh, we just have some extra containers in the back. No, we never did. Like you go said, business. restarting your business. You know, it's like, like starting the business we never again. did to go yeah. business. We got to buy all that yeah. shit. Yeah. So anyway, so we buy all that shit and um, start running to go. We're ready to go. We do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. 
uh, when, sorry, when, yeah, so Wednesday night, we're sitting here, we're doing to-goes. They said, oh, guys, we got a, a judgment from some fucking judge and who knows where that we can open. Sweet. Mm-hmm. So we, we took that and we ran with it like every other business yep. person, you know, would have done as well. So we said, all right, perfect. Let's open on, this was Thursday, let's open on Saturday, right? So we said, all right, let's close Friday so we can prep for, for Saturday. Mm-hmm. We bought all of our uh, food, everything that needed to, to be done, you know, because like I said, we didn't have a lot of the food. We were small menu, concise menu, because we didn't want to order a bunch of stuff. And, for sure. And, and so we or made a huge order of, of thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, Friday comes and uh, we're sitting here getting ready. I, I brought in uh, some employees to start cleaning up. We cleaned up the whole restaurant, got everything ready. I leave Friday, uh, five o'clock, and I turn on the news. Sure enough, uh, the appeal uh, has been, there was an appeal and we can't mm-hmm. open any longer. <laughs> so I'm sitting there like, holy shit, we were supposed to open tomorrow. And uh, now what? So I, I, I call my brother and my cousin and we said, okay, what, what's, what's next? Staff's all ready to go. So yeah, we, we had sent out an email on, on Thursday saying, get ready, we're closing Friday. Get ready, we're, we're, we're ready to work. Everyone's stoked. Friday, um, I went to bed and I said, uh, we talked to my brother and my cousin. I said, dude, we're, we're closing. Like, we, we didn't want to, again, like I, we talked about before, it's like, we didn't know like mm-hmm. what it meant to defy orders yeah. and w- what the consequences were. Do we get our liquor? Bro, liquor license are like $100,000, right? Mm-hmm. $80,000, $90,000. So what happens if we get our liquor license taken away? If that's one of the consequences of staying open? We didn't know. No one ever, no one has known. I don't think, no, still no one really knows exactly, sure. right? So um, I wake up Saturday morning and I'm like, dude, what are we going to do? This sucks. We'll just go back to takeout, I guess. And I, I, I sat there and I really thought about it and I said, man, it's fucking Christmas in six days, right? And I really told my employees that we're going to get back to work. And like we said previously, these people wanted to work, mm-hmm. right? And, and I sat there and I said, okay, when I sent out that email to all of those employees, what was their response? And 100% of the people were like, fuck yeah, let's mm-hmm. get back to work. Let's get back to work. Yeah. It's six days before Christmas. I need to go Christmas shopping. I need to pay my rent for the end of the month. I need to do whatever. So I called my brother and I said, dude, I, I think we have an obligation to, to our staff as business owners, as business operators, that we have an obligation to take care of these people. Absolutely. Because like I told you before, ah, well, what was, we didn't think that we were going to stay open for a month. We didn't know. We, we thought, okay, maybe till Wednesday. We'll have Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, five days of like some good solid income, some good solid income for these employees to buy some presents, to feed their families, to, you know, all that stuff people need to do before Christmas. Um, So I I talked to my brother and I was like, dude, I think we need to open. We, we, We owe it to these guys. We need to open. And if we get shut down or if we get a letter or something, 
hey, then then yep. we'll, we'll deal with that when it comes. But but we have an obligation to these people to to open up our doors. And sure enough, uh, Saturday, Sunday, um, we open. And and I think we decided to close on that Monday. And a lot of people did uh, eventually stay open. But you know, we don't want to we don't want to be. We're like, oh, you know, we, we toss around this idea. Oh, let's just open up everything. They never told us. And I didn't want to be, you don't want to be like. For sure. Greedy or like egregious to like, just, all right, let's open up and not care. Like, you don't want to be, you don't want to be like reckless, you know? Yep. And so we did it, what we needed to do out, outside. And we stayed what the, what the, uh, they told us before we closed down. They said, okay, you know, you can open up outdoors. And we just went to that formula again and um we did it saturday sunday it was great and like i told you before the extra income was great but we had already paid our bills sure we, had, we, we that stuff was already like that's secondary to us at the, that point for the right team, yeah. it was for the staff yeah it was it, and before our, our our um decision that uh saturday i brought the entire staff here at like two o'clock before we're opening at four and i brought them in at two o'clock and i said hey guys this is this is where we're at. This has no effect on the way that we are going to run business for the foreseeable future. This is two days for you guys. If you're in, you're in. If you're out, you're out. But who's in? Kind of thing. And yeah. I, I, I want to make sure, like, I spoke to everyone in person, even after I sent out that email, and I brought everyone in here, and I was like, if we're in, let's, let's fucking do this. Absolutely. And 100% of everyone was like, we're fucking in. Let's let's do it. I love it. And so um, that's what we did. Saturday, Sunday, we opened up, reverted back to to go, and now we're back in square one again. And then the cease and desist and comes so, a week later. So yeah, so uh, <laughs> the cease and desist comes uh, the 29th, ten days later. And they uh, gave you Christmas off. Yeah, it was to, yeah, yeah, it was nice of them. <laughs> um, I, I was like, I my, I wasn't here at the time. My brother called me. He's like, we got a cease and desist. I was like, what? dude, we're fucking doing to go. Like, how is that possible? It's like, oh no, that's from the 18th and 19th when we opened up the patio. And I'm like, he's like, yeah, they're, they're 10 days behind at the city. I'm like the fucking, wow, a fucking man. joke. That's wild. Yeah. So, so then what does, you know, what does, you said the foreseeable future and you told your staff, you know, these two days are for you, but like the foreseeable future, we're still having to navigate policy. What does now we're in 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, what does the foreseeable future, I guess, is there a different strategy or playbook you guys are pulling from? Uh, not like back in March, like we're a year ahead. What, what, what is your guys' strategy now or future look like? If that's even a question you can yeah, confidently I, it's, answer. It's funny you say that because yesterday my, my, our marketing person, uh, she texts me every Monday. We talk about, um, you know, what, what the week looks like and what we want to put out on social media and what, what, once, what, what is our message? Mm-hmm. And yesterday she sent me that text message and I didn't even respond Mm. because I really have no clue because there's been so much shit that we've had to dip and dodge from that. I don't know what this week brings. Like I've gotten to the point where I'm like, dude, I've had to call audibles. If you're a football uh, connoisseur that, uh, I've had to call so many audibles on a, on a daily basis that I don't know what tomorrow's bringing. Like Mm -hmm. I have no clue. And so that's the tough part about running business in 2021 is dude, we don't know. And, Mm -hmm. and what's crazy is like we talked about before, 
after we closed down, so that Monday, after we closed down, said, all right, we're just doing strictly to go. That Monday from until last, until Sunday, this past Sunday, which is two weeks, was fucking phenomenal. Great takeout business. Great takeout business. Come Monday, which was yesterday, we looked at the numbers and we're like, oh, fuck. Really? And we got, again, like I said, we got prepared for like, all right, dude, we're going to be busy. We brought more people on, got more staff, bought more food. Mm. And now Monday comes along and we're like, oh, shit. Now we got another audible. Throw audible, audible, audible. Call two people off each night. Uh, Do that, you know? So I don't know what this week brings. For now, for the next, until we know uh, exactly what's happening, we're running to go. And who knows if that will last? Because at one point you have to say, okay, are you just in business right now to stay relevant? Or are you in business to make money? Which one? Because if you want to stay relevant, you're losing money, mm-hmm. right? When you open up these doors every day, yep. just to stay relevant, is it worth it to spend that money and lose money on a daily basis or just cut your losses, cut your payroll, tell, your, tell unfortunately your employees, hey, guys, we're done again. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a great what question. Do, what, do you do? A you great question. what do you do? It's a great question. What do you do? What do you do? It's a fine line to balance there. Right. Because staying relevant at a certain expense can be... Costly. Yeah, <laughs> right. Not, not worth it. <laughs> not worth it, for sure. Man, that's, that's tough to hear. And I know that's a lot of people's answer. You don't want it to be the answer because as, a, as the owner, you're, you're, you're kind of, you're writing the roadmap. And if you're constantly calling audibles, you can't really give a good play call. And you can't, you can't structure a future. Yeah. And I think that's what's been the most challenging thing is there's no way to do, forget any budgets or like forecasting. There's nothing. No. You can't do any of no, that. Zero. But also too, just like just the general, like day to day, week to week, month to month, there's zero like you can't put a future together because the inconsistency has been proven. And it's almost like a, uh, a boy cries wolf now totally. is, and it, it isn't just hospitality. It's like in fitness, they've done the same thing to him. Like you're good. You're not good. You're good. You're not sure. good. Now outside in like, it's, it's such a challenge and I don't really know. I don't know politics enough. I'm sure we've all become, we've all earned our bachelor's degree in politics this yeah. year. Cause we watch it so much, whether we like it or not, it's disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't see, uh, I think we're gonna have to be a lot more vocal to start making some, some of those changes there. But in the meantime, I don't, I think they're so clueless t- to what you're describing here that we're going to keep having this for the time being until we have some sort of sense of security that I don't know where it's going to come from. But I do before, before we hang up, I do want to, uh, kind of talk to you, you know, you also professional business aside, you know, personally you're, you're slated to get married this year. Yep. You know, how has this, um, how has this been challenging off the court outside the arena mm-hmm. for you personally? Like how's, how's the nimbleness? Are you calling audibles out there? Obviously you called an audible with the wedding, yeah. you know, like a lot of people did. That's why I, we've talked. I'm like the wedding industry is going to boom after this because holy yeah, shit. I'm going to have like 30 weddings. And next people year. are still, people are still getting married too. I They're know. still getting engaged this year. So yeah. how has it been personally outside of the business? Dude, like I said, it's, it's been I'm only, I turned 31 in December, so I'm, I'm 30 years, 31 years young. And, and to, di- to this date, it's been the most challenging year of my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, both professionally and, like you said, outside of the arena, having to cancel a wedding uh, with my fiance of, of eight years was challenging. Um, yeah. We, we ha- have put in about five to 10 offers on houses this year, all got denied. So it's been a, it's been personally, it's been a challenging year and, and 
like the going back to the resilience part of it it's just it's about being resilient and and you know I, sometimes i sit back my fiance and and i always talk about it about like really like you stop and take a step back and like realize the things that you're going through because i don't think at, for me personally i don't really step back at all i'm just like go make decision go yep. make another decision go mm-hmm. and then when you sit back and i got a chance to head to sedona this past week for the Love new year it. and got to really kind of just reset and really think and and understand like okay man that was an emotional year but did i even like feel those emotions or was it just like yeah go yeah you know and uh, and uh so what's the answer Dude, I don't. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I. I don't think I ever felt like I was. I was telling my fiance, and maybe it's because I. I grew up in this business, and and this business, as you know, is is a stressful, um, you know, high pressure environment as it is. I was like, I don't think I ever felt stressed mm-hmm. through it all, and maybe. And she's like, maybe you don't know what stress feels like, mm-hmm. and maybe that's the truth. Um, well, well, it's it, it also a combination of you not to, you don't want to become emotionless or heartless, but yeah. running a business, if you get too wrapped up in emotions and decision-making, it could actually be really negative. You totally. know, it could have, it could have negative impacts. So yeah. I, I think the fair answer was you just spent the entire year, like, just like anything, there's always fires going, like fires breaking out, yeah. stress with the job and not like the acute stress that like, cool, package it up. It's done like the chronic <laughs> sure, stress right. that just drags out. So you're constantly navigating through that. I think this was a year that, not saying it to feel all of it, that, but you definitely, and it could be like a Sedona moment where you're like, I got to feel some of that shit though this time. Oh, th- and I, I don't want anybody to feel like I'm this cold, like no, emotionless no. person. You're doing the right thing. But you know, at, at some point you, you just kind of go into the survival mode. And I think that survival mode kicked in for me come March and I just started fucking going. Totally. You know, and yeah, it didn't stop. Survival mode is even trickier because if you bring emotions into survival mode, right, exactly. you're in a world of pain. Exactly. I, I think also too, and I don't know if you've, you, you, you came across this when looking at the last year and having like resetting in Sedona where all the influences are gone, is you got to appreciate the little wins. This year is a, a, for me is like we have a lot of wins and, I, and, and it's also synonymous with base hits, you know. Yeah. I love chasing the, the grand slams and the home Tell runs. Everyone, right? But I... I had to become a base hitter this I year. I love that. You know, you be Tony Gwynn. You have to, yeah. and and people people who just fold up shop and stop playing, they're gonna lose the game. For sure. But if you came on, you swing, you're gonna strike out for sure, just like normal times. But I couldn't really swing for home runs or grand slam. I had to get a base hit, and I had to be fucking just as excited about that base hit as I was about a grand slam, until. You know, the fans are back in the stadium, right. figuratively speaking, you know, and I can start swinging for those, the real trophy hits. But in the meantime, like, okay, let's look back and, and not just like professionally, because we've had a lot of great base hits, but like personally, like there's still base hits out there, Dude. even with the relationship. We didn't get married, but we're in Sedona fucking celebrating 2021 together. Right. Like that's a base hit, you Dude, know, that is, that is by far the best analogy i've heard about like i swear <laughs> to god like yeah and i'm a sports guy so it makes complete sense to me but um dude that's that's like perfect because i think for us we hit a grand slam with this right 
Mm-hmm. And we kept hitting grand slams year after year. You make your numbers. You hit grand slams. You hit grand slams. You hit grand slams. We shut down. And we're like, okay, we're trying to find that grand slam again. Mm-hmm. And I think it makes a lot of sense for me, at least. It's very insightful for for you to to be like, dude, just look for that base hit. Well, and, yeah, and it's funny the base hit analogy came up from a podcast with uh, with Chase Fisher, who owns Blenders, oh, nice. uh, sunglass company. Nice. And we were talking a year before COVID ever broke out. So we were talking in a, in a great way, but it was about base hits where I was saying, you know, business was booming and everything is firing on all cylinders, but you have to hit a point too where you recognize if I got a man on third, all my team needs me to do is to hit a base mm-hmm. hit. If I go up mm-hmm. trying to swing for grand slams and home mm-hmm. runs and I strike out, I'm actually crippling the team. Mm-hmm. So it was in a different way a year and a half or two years ago that I was like, I just gotta get some base hits, Love bring it. them back home. Now this year after this, I'm like, okay, it's just tweaking a little bit, but still appreciating and getting up to bat. And I think that's the key. And Artem said that from the boxing club on the last podcast is like, just getting up every day. He's like, it's not a motivational thing. He's like, I don't know anything else. I get up that's what I'm and saying, I fucking, yeah. I, I either swing the bat or I fight every day. Same right. thing. Like yeah. you said, you didn't really feel the stress. You just know I have to get up For and sure. I have to do this. Sure. It's non-negotiable. Right. So Man, this has been great. Great. I really appreciate the time. I know regardless of all this crazy shit, you are busy. Um, and I appreciate you taking the time, yeah, letting us in this beautiful space. It's one of my favorite spots. I'll say it a million times. I'm a super fan of this place. Every Thank time you. I come in here, oh my God, it's like home. So Thank you, man. Uh, I'm looking forward to drinking wine. And God, I'm trying to remember my favorite, my dish that I get every single time. I'm blanking on it right now. It's okay. The gnocchi. Gnocchi. The carbonara. That's it. There you go. That's the one. Well, <laughs> I just get to the point now where I don't even, I don't even hit the menu. I say to the server, I'm like, hey, this, I get, I get this dish this. and just fires it in. So, um, <laughs> well, but we, no, I appreciate it, man. We can't, dude. I, I think I consider this my house, my home, and I can't wait till I get to like entertain people in my house again. Cause For sure. that, that brings me the most like energy and, and life ever, you know, it really well, does. We'll say optimistic and, and hoping it's sooner than later. And Hope this so. is a staple of India Street in Little Italy. So, PJ, thank you, man. Appreciate you.